Folklore says that somebody once asked Michelangelo, the brilliant Renaissance artist, how he sculpted his difficult masterpiece, David. He smiled unassumingly and said, it was easy. I just chipped away the stone that didn't look like David. The same technique can and should be applied to sculpting the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. To reveal the essential gospel, just chip away any hint of religion that doesn't look like Jesus. What remains is a breathtaking masterpiece that beautifully portrays the grace of God. That's what church leaders did in Acts 15 at a meeting known as the Jerusalem Council. They chipped away the large chunks of Judaism on the slab of white marble salvation, leaving nothing but the essential gospel of the grace of God. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. In the Christian faith, there are certain foundational truths that cannot be compromised. Others are open for debate, but what should those conversations look like? Hi, I'm Brian Davis, and you're listening to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. While many churches have adopted what we might call the Augustinian view of Christian doctrine, in the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. Today, Ron explains what that should look like in the life of the church as he moves ahead in his teaching series, Paul, Surprised by Grace. Online, you'll find us at somethinggoodradio.org where you can listen to Ron's messages on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Now, here's Ron with part two of his Something Good Radio message, The Essential Gospel. And he states in the clearest way possible, Acts 15 and verse 11, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And no wonder the entire assembly fell silent after Peter said this. Paul and Barnabas broke the silence by telling their missionary stories, by recalling their experiences of how they you know, went out to these Gentile cities and the Gentiles came to faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Then James spoke up. This is James who wrote the New Testament book of James, James the half-brother of Jesus. By now James had emerged as one of the key leaders in the Jerusalem church. And uh, he concurred with Peter and Paul and Barnabas. And James said in Acts 15 and verse 19, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Way to go, James. Oh, this, this was a turning point. Either the gospel was going to continue to carve out new territory, and the essential gospel would emerge, chiseling away any hint of religion that didn't look like Jesus or it would stop right here. And James went on to lay out the framework of a response to the church in Antioch, which became part of a letter they sent back with Paul and some of the others. The letter partially reads in uh, chapter 15, beginning in verse 28, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. 
Again, three cheers for the Jerusalem church. Without dissolving into divisiveness and destroying you know, the church there, the leaders successfully drafted a unified theological response that upheld salvation by grace alone. They just said, hey, here are a few things that you might want to keep in mind that had nothing to do with salvation, but had to do with building harmony between Jews and Gentiles. They said, number one, lead a sexually pure life. That was important to say to the Gentiles who came out of paganism. Even in their pagan temples, there were temple prostitutes and gross sexual immorality was, was part of what they came out of. And part of uh, what uh, would then distinguish a true follower of Jesus was their sexual purity. That's, that's good for everybody to follow. It has nothing to do with adding to your salvation. And then they talked about some uh, food preparations uh, that made sure that both Jewish and Gentile believers could participate in meals with freedom of conscience. Uh, for the Jewish people who came out of centuries of uh, you know, Old Testament dietary laws and all of that, that there are just some things they said, no, we, 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 don't, we don't eat that. And uh, uh, the, the, the church here uh, practiced um, the art of compromise, never compromising the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, but compromising, hey, my, my freedom as a Gentile to eat certain things that might offend a Jew. And they just gave them these simple instructions to build harmony between the Jews and the Gentiles. Oh, they, they thread that needle oh so carefully. And here we are today. Had they not done this at the Jerusalem Council, I'm not sure the gospel would have continued to carve new territory into places where 2,000 years later, non-Jews like us would be here today uh, talking about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 15 and verse 31, it says uh, of those in Antioch, they rejoiced because of the letter's encouragement to them. What a story, and it's an important one for us to understand in the context of church history and in the context of the book of Acts, which is a very transitional time in the life of the church. But how does it inform us today? I wanna to give you three grace principles that, um, that I wrote down and that come from the example of the uh, Jerusalem Council here. Number one, resolve your theological disputes with grace. The church has always been debating, discussing, fine-tuning their understanding of the Word of God. Again, it's a precise science. Theology is words matter. Uh, debate and uh, discussion is just part of it a necessary part of it, but resolve those disputes with grace. And let's be careful not to allow the times in which we live to creep into the church. I'm talking about the political times in which we live. We're just down the road from our nation's capital, a place where political debate no longer uh, is governed by civility. It used to be a time that people on opposite sides of the political aisle could stand and debate their issues on the floor of the House of Representatives or the Senate, and then go to dinner that night. They were friends. That's not even a part of our body politic anymore. 
and it's, it's destroying our country. We are fast becoming the divided states of America. And my point is not to get political. My point is not to let the world around us squeeze us into their mold. We should never let that approach to honest debate and discussion within the church look like it does in Washington, D.C. It should never dissolve into something like that, into something that is graceless and unkind and off-putting. At this church, we embrace the historic and orthodox teachings of the Christian faith as found in the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. And we do not apologize about that. I encourage you to read our statement of faith. I believe our statement of faith, as, as most do, needs to be updated and made more clear and precise and more robust. Language matters. And oftentimes, translated language that takes on different meanings over time and new issues arise. And always the church needs to be on the, on the cutting edge, not only of sound uh, biblical theology and uh, the meaning of words, but also what's happening in the culture around us and uh, where we stand as a church. We also practice the Augustinian idea that in essential matters, of doctrine, we have unity. In non-essentials, we have liberty. And in all things, we practice love and charity, civility and grace, okay? There are some issues that are not central and essential to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. For example, we can have honest discussions about whether the rapture of the church happens pre-trib, post-trib, or mid-trib. I, I've been around all of those issues. This church has a certain position, and I have a certain position, but there's no reason to divide over that. There's no reason to divide even over the gifts of the Spirit and things of that nature. We have a position. We are within a certain stream of church history and theology, and we don't apologize about that. It's who we are. But there are good, godly people who have different thoughts and different ideas about that. But when it comes to the gospel... And the essential nature of the gospel and how we articulate the gospel, that's the one thing that could make us part ways with somebody. If somebody says it's Jesus plus anything else, I'm sorry. That's not a, a fellowship that we can enjoy. The substitutionary death of Jesus Christ matters. The person and nature of Jesus Christ matters. His bodily resurrection matters. And even our view of Scripture from which we get all of this theology, matters. But let's uh, have those discussions and debates uh, with grace. Secondly, protect the gospel of salvation by grace. That is a hill worth dying on, friends. And thank the Lord for the Jerusalem Council 2,000 years ago, who was not afraid to have the discussion. Bring it on. We'll have the debate. We'll have the discussion. It will help sharpen who we are. But they protected for us and for everyone since then the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Jesus Christ alone. The spirit of the Judaizers is alive and well here in the 21st century with people who want to add their rules to faith in Jesus. Uh, but let's be clear about the fact that it's Jesus plus nothing.
Still ahead, the second half of today's message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Remember this web address, somethinggoodradio.org. That's the place to go to hear any of Ron's messages on demand. When you stop by, check out our digital library where you can search for answers to some of life's most challenging questions. Answers Ron has put together during his nearly 30 years of Bible teaching ministry. You can also stream on demand absolutely free. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Here's something else for you. Ron would like to bless you with a great resource today, one that goes along with the series that aired earlier this year. It's called The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Two beautifully designed editions that cover the Old and New Testament. And both volumes can be yours today as you invest in the media ministry of something good with a gift of $50 or more. That's volumes one and two of Ron's book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099 or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. Now, let's get back to Ron as he shares the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, The Essential Gospel. Honestly, we have a difficult time with the plus nothing part um, because we, we live in a world where merit is everything, especially in our country. We live in a meritocracy. You know that, don't you? We don't live in an aristocracy, that's Britain. Your status in a British community is determined by your birth. <laughs> you know, you're either born into the royal family or you're not. And if you're not, you're a commoner, okay? That's not us. We, we don't view people based upon their birth. We shouldn't view people based upon their race or their gender or any of that kind of silliness. We live in a meritocracy. I don't apologize about a meritocracy. I want to live in a place where hard work, good grades, and achievement matter. And somebody once told me growing up, there ain't no free lunch in this world. And it's right. You got to work for everything you're going to get. And your gifts and talents will take you as far as you want them to take you in this free country. But the kingdom of God is not a meritocracy. Salvation is not a meritocracy. Salvation is by grace. The only meritocracy in salvation is the merits of Jesus Christ. Amen. The only way and the only reason you and I will be in heaven together is because of what Jesus did. His merits. He, he, he lived a sinless life. He died a substitutionary death. He rose triumphantly from the grave and all of the merits of Jesus get credited to our account when we place our faith and trust in him. That's biblical Christianity. You say, but pastor, I'm a good person. Yeah, but you still fall short. You can be the goodest, gooder, good, do-gooder on earth. I know I just butchered my <laughs> grammar there. You can be the goodest, and you're still not good enough. And neither am I. Neither am I. And I think silently, so many people are saying, yes, Jesus, but I'm just working harder. I'm just trying harder. I'm just doing my best every day. And I hope that when I die, I balanced enough good with bad. You never will. That's the whole point. And that's why we say grace is so amazing. That's why Paul and Barnabas were surprised by the grace of God, even as it was extended to the Gentiles of all people. 
Let me try to illustrate the mind of a Pharisee 2,000 years ago. Suppose the Pharisee, the party of the Pharisees was, was today, and part of the uh, law of the Pharisees and the Mosaic law were the traffic laws, you know, uh, the speed limit laws. And one of them said, uh, you can only go 55 miles an hour, no more, on the freeways. But that wasn't good enough for a Pharisee. Because what they did was add laws to the laws to make sure nobody broke the law. So they would come along and they would say, well, in addition to you know, 55 speed limit, we need to install a certain device on everybody's car, a governor, to make sure no matter how far you press that accelerator, it will not go past 55 miles per hour. You ever driven a car like that? Oh. It's the most frustrating thing in the world. Obviously, I'm not a Pharisee when it comes to driving, right? I, I want to go faster than that. But the Pharisees piled laws upon laws until they had burdened people down with this unbearable religion that needed to be chiseled away and chiseled away and chiseled away and chiseled away until all that was left was this magnificent piece of art called the gospel of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep chiseling away any hint of religion until all you see is Jesus. And finally, respect the grace of God by not abusing your liberty in Christ. You see, it's, again, it's hard for us to understand the, um, uh, the, the issues back 2,000 years ago but actually, the dietary laws of Jews and Gentiles, you know, became an issue, an issue of conscience. And the compromise that they came to wasn't about adding requirements to their salvation. No, salvation by grace alone was it. But they just said, listen, for the purpose of building harmony, you Gentiles who have freedom to eat whatever you want, choose out of love for your fellow Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ, choose out of love to limit your liberty, and vice versa in some way. Just, just relax a little bit, okay? And, and if you do that, there will be harmony in the body of Christ, in this new thing the gospel is carving out that includes both Jews and Gentiles. I can tell you back in the church that I grew up in, this spilled not only, not so much into matters of salvation, but into matters of sanctification. Oh, we, we said salvation is by grace and through faith alone and in Christ alone. But growing up to be like Jesus, yeah, you need to, you know, follow the teachings of New Testament Scripture. And the things that people added on was, oh yeah, and young boys, your hair has to be cut up over your ears. You can't look like a hippie. Really? And, and girls, you're always wearing a dress even at summer camp. Really? And, and the list just went on and on and on. Legalism suffocates. It suffocates the grace of God. Let go of it. But don't exercise your liberty so much that you offend a weaker brother and sister in Christ is the idea. So that there's harmony, harmony in the body of Christ. Ain't this making sense? Anybody willing to shout hallelujah this morning and say, praise the Lord, way to go, Jerusalem Council, for protecting us from suffocating ourselves with religion 
And when it comes to the essential gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, I say, always keep a chisel nearby. And like Michelangelo, be ready to chip away anything, any hint of religion that doesn't look like Jesus. And when that freedom comes, <laughs> we'll be singing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. And it just gets sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. You try to keep the list that you've made for yourself and for others, and you'll grow so tired and so weary. You get rid of all that extraneous stuff and just chip away and chip away at that block of white marble until what you're left with is, is the beautiful and breathtaking image of the grace of God in Jesus Christ plus nothing. And that's freedom in Christ. Thanks so much for being with us for today's Something Good Radio message, The Essential Gospel. And I'm pleased to welcome in Dr. Ron Jones to the studio. Ron, you've talked many times before about the essentials of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but you've hit on something today about Christian liberty that I think would benefit our listeners. Talk for a moment about how we, as believers in Christ, should exercise the liberty we have in Him. That's a very important question, Brian, because this goes directly to our fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And quite frankly, the manner in which we exercise our Christian liberty might impact, positively or negatively, our ability to remain unified. Now, let me outline uh, three, maybe four basic principles for exercising our Christian liberty. First, we should never flaunt our liberty in Christ. Uh, just because we have liberty does not mean we must always exercise it. Uh, there are clearly times when we shouldn't. So first and foremost, uh, let's use discretion when exercising our liberty in Christ. Second, and this is a big one, Brian, we should never exercise our Christian liberty in a way that causes another Christian to stumble in his or her faith. Uh, we have uh, liberty in Christ so that we might be servants of others, not so that we might indulge our own preferences. Uh, there's nothing wrong, for example, with drinking wine in moderation. But if you're in the presence of someone who has struggled with alcohol dependency and who might be tempted to stumble should you exercise your liberty, then you should choose not to exercise your liberty. And finally, Brian, uh, here's a general rule that we would do well to follow. Love limits liberty. Yes, our love for God and others might mean that we choose not to exercise our liberty in certain circumstances. By the way, leadership in the body of Christ limits my liberty. In some cases, others can, but I can't, precisely because I am in church leadership, and there are too many eyes watching the pastor. That's Dr. Ron Jones with some great advice about the way we ought to practice our Christian liberty. Well, Ron, tomorrow you continue in this series on the Apostle Paul's life and ministry. Tell us what we have to look forward to. One of the things God does for us, Brian, during our spiritual journey is he uh, directs our paths. Now, we, we plan in our heart the way we're going to go, but if we're a child of God, 
He directs our steps. Uh, Proverbs 16 and verse 9 tells us that. And one of the ways he directs our steps, uh, one of several perhaps, is that he opens some doors and closes others. As we get into Paul's second missionary journey in my upcoming message, uh, we're going to see about the best illustration you can find in Scripture for how God opens some doors and closes others. Plenty of practical lessons for us to take hold of in this uh, season of Paul's ministry. And Brian, I'll get into a few of them next time right here on Something Good. The message is called Open and Close Doors, Paul's second missionary journey. And Dr. Ron Jones shares it with us tomorrow as he moves ahead in his series, Paul Surprised by Grace. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.